13. Inside your program this morning, also the Scripture is printed. If you didn't get a copy, put up your hand and we'll get one to you. If you're our guest, we've been preaching through the book of Romans. And one of the things about expository preaching through books of the Bible is that you can't pick and choose (laughs) which passage of Scripture you preach from. You just take the next passage. And this passage has raised more eyebrows perhaps than almost any other passage, or at least a lot of them, as the Apostle Paul turns and speaks directly to Christians as citizens in the common world. So, pay attention in this challenging Scripture and see how God speaks to your heart. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So far the reading of God's Word. So let's say you wake up one day and look out your living room window and you see your next door neighbor running across his front lawn to your driveway with a sledgehammer in his hand, and he takes that sledgehammer and smashes the window of your car. What should you do? Run down to your garage and grab your sledgehammer, right? And run across his yard and smash his windshield and then maybe the side of his car too, right? Well, if you were half awake last week as we preached at the end of Romans chapter 12, you know what it says you're supposed to do to your enemies. What does it say you should do? It says, bless those who persecute you. Do good to your enemy. What should you do if he smashes your windshield with a sledgehammer? Last week we said, bake him an apple pie. 
But some of you woke up in my sermon last week when I said one sentence, and that sentence was, if somebody assaults you, if someone is doing you harm in the moment, call the police. Of course, call the police. And I told you last week that I'd tell you why this week. And it is this passage today that explains to us that in the world common to man, God has instituted government, moral authority given to police, to the courts, establishing jurisprudence, appropriate. What should you do if a guy smashes your windshield with a sledgehammer, bake him a pie, and then in love, call the police? And they will come and they will handle it appropriately. And if you can't settle with him in a one-on-one negotiation, take him to court appropriately, properly. Why? Well, it tells us why here in this passage. Now, you got to know this. So many people get confused. This is not a passage where Paul is writing to the government. This is not a letter to the government. This is a letter to Christians telling them how to live in subjection and cooperation with whatever government they have. Sinclair Ferguson says, you need to be reminded here, Paul is telling Christians how to live, whether they are living under a monarchy or in a republic, in a democracy or under totalitarian communism, whether the government is a tribal chief or a despot dictator. Christianity, the Bible says, works wherever you go, in all times and in all places. And now he instructs us, those of us who live in this world as Christians. And he says, and there's four points, you're going to see four points, I'm going to take them right out of the text and you need to follow along so you see that what I'm saying has the authority of Scripture behind it. And he says in point number one, with a command that you are to obey the governing authorities. Look at verse one. Show it to your child if they're sitting next to you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What do we learn here? You're supposed to pay attention and cooperate with those who are in authority over you, but he gives the reason. It's not just go along to get along. What's the reason? It's because God has put them in place, and the place they are was actually instituted by God. Where in the world does the Bible teach that? Well, to understand this, as we say around here a lot, you need to understand the architecture of the whole Bible. And you need to go back to the book of Genesis. And do you remember when Noah got off the boat? Does anybody remember the flood is receded and Noah gets off the ark? And what does God do? God makes a covenant. But it's not a redemptive covenant. It's not the saving covenant. God makes a covenant of common grace with the whole earth at the end of chapter 8 and in in chapter 9. And God reestablishes the earth. 
And he, there he says, I'm going to establish, he says, he says go and, and, and procreate the earth, refill it, make babies. We're good at that in this church. Well done, mothers and fathers, for making babies. Good job. But he also establishes the family and he establishes, as we'll see in a few minutes, jurisprudence. He establishes enforcement against evil and authorities who are to do that. And, and that's all that happens in Genesis 9. You see, Christians are citizens of two kingdoms. Never forget this. You are citizens of the world common to man, established in Genesis 9. It says there, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you. And then he gives a sign for this common grace covenant. Do you remember what it is? It's the rainbow. And he says in verse 13, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So you are a citizen of the common world, but then in Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham, a redemptive covenant, where out of the people of the earth, he summons and calls a peculiar people to himself. And this covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who did everything that Adam failed to do and brings it to its glorious conclusion through His work on the cross and His resurrection. And this covenant makes the people of God His chosen nation, His special people. And Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. And so this first point to be understood must be accompanied by the insight that you, Christian, have your feet in two kingdoms. Are you with me on this? And to understand where Paul goes in Romans 13, you must understand he's talking about the Christian who is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven living in this world common to man. And, he's, and you ask, how do I do that? And he says to the people at Rome who are living under the cruel thumb of the emperor Nero. Here's how you do it. Submit to those who are in authority over you. Cooperate with them. Has God established authorities in your life? Kids, has God established authority in your life? It's your mother and your father. Students, Students, has God established authority in your life? A teacher in school. Teachers, has God established authority over you? Yes, it's called your principal. Principals, has God established authority over you? Yes, it's called the school board. School boards, has God established authority over you? Yes, it is the division of education of the state of New York. State of New York, are you part of a federal community here? Yeah, you see. And the peace officer, the police officer, the judge in the courts, the mayor of the town, they have been invested by God with authority over you and over me in the affairs common to man. Are you with me on this? 
your boss at work, your parents at home, the coach on your team. Cooperate. You know, we used to watch Sesame Street with our little kids, and they're my favorite song on Sesame Street. Cooperation makes it happen. Cooperation, working together. And in Genesis 9, God said to the peoples of the earth, cooperate together, live as citizens in the kingdom of man. So how does our heart do at this? Everybody here and everybody driving by, just happy and willing to submit to authority? Paul knows better. It's not just because he knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows every heart because Paul knows the architecture of the whole Bible. And Paul goes back. He remembers Adam and Eve. And there was authority over them in the Garden of Eden. And God said to them, you remember this, don't you? Of any tree you can eat, you can enjoy all the delicious fruit of this garden, the mango and the orange and the juicy apple and the strawberry. You can enjoy it all except for this one tree over here. That one's off limits. And did Adam and Eve submit to his authority and obey the lawful, proper authority of their creator king? They did not. And in rebellion, they turned against him. And I tell you, if you've ever seen a two-year-old in the grocery store, and mom is trying to check out with the two-year-old in her arms, and the kid spies the Kit Kat bar, and he says yes, and she says no, and you watch what unfolds. And have you ever seen the two-year-old arching their back in defiance against their mother? And I tell you, you sophisticated, suave, Presbyterian people with savoir-faire as you conduct yourselves, you are no different from that two-year-old arching his back. Because when your boss tells you, I want you to do this, and you say, really? He's out of his mind. What should you do? You should do it. When your father asks you to do something, what should you do? You sixth graders here, you should do it. Teachers, when your principal asks you to do something, and you think, really? What should you do? You should do it. When the police officer says, please get out of the car, what should you do? You should do it and show honor in every one of those instances where honor is due. But Paul knows you, and he says in verse 2, there whoever resists the authority, again, he says it because he knows our propensity, the, the bent of our sinful flesh to resist what God has appointed. And he warns, you will incur judgment. You get detention in school. You get grounded at home. 
You get written up at work. You get arrested properly on the street if you resist and disobey the law. Every one of us has fallen short, except for one. And who is that one person? Who is the one person who didn't really need to pay taxes because he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords? And yet, when the one drachma tax needed to be paid, he said to his disciples, hey, go to that fish and get that coin, (laughs) pay the tax. Who was that? Who was the one who stood before Pontius Pilate? Who was the one who stood before an unjust governor about to impose a wicked sentence against an innocent man? And yet he stood silent before his accuser. Why? In fact, Jesus, what did Jesus say to Pontius Pilate? He said, this is so interesting. He never read Romans 13, but he said to him, because he knew the architecture of the Bible, he said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And I actually think that in the psychology of Jesus in that moment, on that terrible night as he is about to suffer God's wrath in our place, I think that his knowledge of the proper authority given to Pontius Pilate for that day, though unjustly used, enabled him to continue on his way to the cross, to die for rebellious, back-arching, stubborn children like you and me. Do you believe that? Do you understand The two-year-old arching his back needs a savior, but the teenager who rolls his eyes at his mother or his father is resisting not just mom or dad, but God. When you disobey your boss at work, you're not just resisting your boss, you are disobeying God. When you speak ill, of law enforcement, you are not just resisting police. You are resisting God. That's what this passage teaches. And I don't know about you, but I need a Savior. Is there anyone in this room so righteous that you so perfectly submit to authority over you? Or have you been, like I have been, convicted of sin? You need a Savior. And Jesus was one who surrendered to authority so that he could go to the cross to die for you. Do you believe that today? That's good news. And that takes you into the kingdom of heaven. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But because he has done that, you then, and this takes us to points three and four, you then are able to live as a good citizen. Now, I said earlier in the service, when St. Augustine was writing his treatise, The City of God, he was trying to persuade people in authority that they shouldn't persecute Christians because, he argued, Christians are the best citizens. (laughs) They're the ones who are doing good. Why? Because they are touched by the love of Jesus Christ and they care about their neighbor. And they do. And so you do. North Shore Community Church, could we be known not as people who are scoundrels in the school or in the neighborhood, but known as the best citizens, 
Can that be true of you and me? And Paul gives a civics class. And again, it's a civics class to those who are strangers and aliens in this world. Heaven is our home. But who also live in this common kingdom. And verses 3 and 4 Uh, are the first part of the civics lesson, five and through seven, the second part, civics. When I was a boy in junior high, seventh grade, we had a civics class. Anybody know what a civics class is? I don't think they have civics classes in the public school that much anymore. A whole course dedicated to what it means to be a citizen of the United States of America. We learned the Constitution. We learned about the separation of powers. We learned about uh, the, the, the conduct of, of the bar and of the legal system. We learned how to be productive, helpful citizens in the community in which God places us. And, and that's what Paul does for you in whatever place you find yourself. I told you before, you may live under an Islamic rule, or live under a tyrant, or live in a democracy. Now, I myself prefer to live in a democracy. I just want to tell you, uh, I agree with Winston Churchill, democracy is the worst form of government until you've tried all the others. And Churchill makes it clear, we understand the founders and framers, and that's true of our, in our government, the founding fathers created the separation of powers because he knew, they knew the sinful heart of man, that power corrupts, and so there must be the separation of the judiciary from the legislative, from the executive branch. That was a good thing because of the Calvinistic suspicion of the evil hearts of men. Wow. And in that, the citizens, the government is by the people and for the people. This is a good thing. And if you've tried all the others, you'll agree with me. And so he says, picking up in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. I like that. You know, the police officer is your friend, For the good citizen, the police officer, is your friend. And he should be. He's there to help keep the peace, to protect and and keep law and order in place. He's your friend. And if you own a store and an armed police officer is out in front of your store, guess what the thief is going to do? The thief ain't going in. The thief is going to scurry right on by because he fears the sidearm that the officer carries the handcuffs chained on his belt, you see. And he does what is good. That is his calling before God. If the police officer does not have integrity and is on the take, is a scoundrel, well, that's a different matter, but the Bible says he will answer to God on the judgment day for that. But those in authority, the mayor of the town, the governor of the state, the president of the United States, the judge in the courtroom, Your boss is not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy. They're there for your good, Paul says. Cooperate. But if you do evil, then your parents 
are going to speak to it. Your teacher will speak to it. You get detention. Uh, your principal will speak to you, teacher, if you're out of line. The school board will address the principal when he's out of line. You see, that's what Paul's teaching here in this civics class. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, this is interesting. You see, if you get confused about the architecture of the whole Bible in the world common to man, if you don't understand that, the sword is not given to the church. The sword is not given to the church. Our power is not forceful. Our power is ministerial, declarative. We declare the Word of God. But the state has appropriate force. Where have we seen that? Well, we saw that in, 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 in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, where God says in that covenant of grace with mankind, look at that, this verse, Genesis 9, 5, and 6, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so, proper law enforcement, proper jurisprudence is to execute justice. Church doesn't do that, but the state is given the sword to do that and to bring the defense of the nation. Are you glad that we have a standing army? Well, we should be glad for the good of our people, you see. And the standard of justice to be used here is strict proportional justice, blood for blood. Other, where, other places, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In the civil world, common to man, keeping order. Law and order is a good thing, not a bad thing. And it's to be in a society where we do good together. That's what it says here, to do good. You know, when Israel was in exile in Babylon, does anybody remember that? When Israel is in exile in Babylon, in Jeremiah 29.7, he says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is interesting. Now, he's not talking here about the welfare state as it's come to be known in, 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 in democratic socialism. And yet, and yet, the architecture of the Bible speaks of the world common to man as being good for the citizens in the world common to man. And I ask you today, are you not glad that the government builds sewage treatment plants? I'm glad for sewage treatment plants. Are you? Are you glad that the government builds water treatment plants? I'm glad that they produce clean drinking water for their citizens. Are you glad that Dwight Eisenhower had a vision for the interstate highway system that is second to none around the world, and they built it? Are you glad I am glad. Are you glad there are air traffic controllers at work overseeing the taking off and the landing of airplanes uh, in the world in which we live? For Jew and 
Gentile, for Christian and non-Christian. Are you glad for that? I'm glad for that. And are you glad in a world where the aged, the old, and the infirm, whose adult children, for some reason, don't care to take care of their parents in defiance of Scripture, the Bible says you should take care of your parents. You should, but we live in a world where people don't. And are you not glad to live in a culture, in a society that makes provision in common care for the weak and the infirm? I'm not arguing necessarily for one set of welfare state rules over another, but are you not glad that we don't just throw old people onto the ice floe to let them go drown out into the sea or eaten by a polar bear? I'm glad. And yes, I am glad for the standing army and for law enforcement and for the courts that seek to execute justice and keep the peace. What is the price for all these things? I remember, it had to be 20 or 30 years ago, I as a young pastor, I attended a Rotary Club meeting in Glenside, Pennsylvania, and the speaker was the county executive. And he said a sentence I'll never forget. He said, Taxes are the price of civilization. And he's right. Taxes are the price of civilization. Paul knew it. Whether you believe in big government and loads and loads of entitlement and huge taxes, or whether you believe in limited government and, and, uh, and, and, a, and frugal government spending, and, and whether you believe uh, entitlements uh, often get out of hand because of corruption, I'm not going to address that here. That's for you as good citizens to fight out in your constituency where you live. It does not fall to the elders of our church to pronounce tax policy or international relations or to advise the president on nuclear arrangements with uh, Iran. That's for you as a Christian citizen to lend your voice to your representatives to tell them what you think, and you should, because you're good citizens. You're the best citizens. And we are told Point four, you have a civic responsibility to the government. Therefore, he he reiterates verse one, this is verse five, verse five under point four, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Sewage treatment plants, water treatment plants, the the police force, um, common defense of the borders. Yeah, the police force. They're attending to these very things. Now verse 7. Are you ready? Swallow hard. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
And you live in subjection to avoid punishment for two reasons, to avoid punishment. Listen carefully. On this matter of taxation, uh, maybe this at least you lift up the screensaver for this one. The tax code in the United States of America under the Internal Revenue Service, the tax code allows for tax avoidance. And the tax code also will punish tax evasion. Isn't that interesting? Two words, you understand the distinction between them. Tax avoidance, what is that? Well, there are loopholes, there are ways you can can reduce. If, for example, you pay the interest on your mortgage, well, you can deduct that. You don't have to pay taxes on that amount of money. Should you do that? That's a good thing. I, I do it. I think as a citizen, that's fine. Tax avoidance is just complying with the law for the benefit of your family. But tax evasion is a crime. And I warn you not to fool with the government on this because at least in the United States of America, the Internal Revenue Service has unlimited resources to pursue and hunt down those people who evade taxes illegally and in, though in America it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, it ain't that way with the IRS. You are guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. Somebody needs to tell them that's a little out of order, but that's, that, that's just the way it is and they have unlimited resources to go after you to prove tax evasion. Don't do that. Avoid what you can. Sure, fine. Pay taxes and revenue. Paul must have known that the Nassau County uh, government in 2016 was going to say, we're not raising taxes. Did you see that in the paper this week? We're not raising taxes. What are they doing? We're raising fees. We're raising revenues, you see. And they add, you know, it's an extra $100 fee if you get a parking ticket or something like that. Now in Nassau County, pay revenue where revenue is due. You're, you're stuck there. You've got to pay it. You've got the boot on your car. But some of you have been waiting all morning for me to get to this. There are times when we must disobey the government, and that is true. And while Paul does not address this, You'll notice, it's it's said in the Westminster Confession, quoting from other parts of the Bible, that we obey uh, lawful commands. But what about when the government commands you to violate a commandment of God? What about when your boss commands you to commit an unethical or immoral act? What about when your parents, or, or, or a police officer asks you to commit something against your conscience. And then, well, in the book of Acts, we have the, pen, we have the ultimate example where, where they were told that they could not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The government said, don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak. That means we have to speak of what we have seen and heard. And at the end of chapter 5, we must obey God rather than man. 
So, that time comes. Oh, my friends, when civil disobedience is required by your conscience and the word of God, you must follow your conscience and the word of God and join with Peter and John and say, I must preach the kingdom of God. I must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a, a If you're an officer in a jail and the policemen conspire to kill one of the criminals in there and they have asked you to put the noose around his neck, what do you do? You refuse to comply. If your teacher asks you to violate your conscience, your boss asks you to violate your conscience, you can't do that. You must obey God rather than man. And we think back to those terrible days in the civil rights movement. And there came the right and righteous time for civil disobedience against the cruel segregation laws in our land and the hatred that was systematically systematized within our culture. And godly men and women stood together against these laws. And with grace and dignity... You can see videos of, of, of African-American people with grace and dignity speaking to those who wickedly and with horrible cursings sought to humiliate them. And they won the hearts of America. And those laws were overturned. And many, many godly Christians participated in those great days. Oh, yes. Why? Because even in that civil disobedience, Christians are the best citizens, aren't they? And that's what we must be. When the police officer says, get out of the car, you say, yes, sir, and you cooperate. When the government says, pay taxes, you pay taxes. When your teacher asks you to do something, you say, how else can I help? When your parents ask you to do something, you say, sure, and what else can I do to help? Christians are the best citizens. Obey your boss at work. Where do you need to repent today? Where has God spoken to your heart? Where are you, the two-year-old, arching his back? In the kingdom common to man, the Lord wants to do business with you. As good citizens, you participate in this world. In a few weeks, you will be asked to vote Christians are the best citizens. I'm hearing Christians say and freaking out that if the candidate they think should be elected isn't elected, America will be ruined. And I'm hearing it on both sides from good Christians. What should you do? For whom should you vote? I'll tell you. Are you listening? Vote your conscience. Vote your conscience. Be a good citizen. Participate in this fallen world common to man. And when your neighbor gets a sledgehammer and runs across and smashes your windshield, bake him an apple pie And then call the police. 
Let's pray. Our Father, I stand in the front of the line like a two-year-old arching my back. I resist authority in my sinful flesh, and I ask for your forgiveness, O Lord. I thank you for the one, the one who never sinned, the one who paid the tax, though he was King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you for the one who knew that Pontius Pilate was given authority over him in that moment, even as he performed wickedly, and went steadfastly to the cross for me and for my friends here. Thank you. We pray that as we live in two kingdoms, that you would make us good citizens, that we would do what is good, and that no one could bring slanderous charges against our God because of us. This is our prayer. Lord, as we come to the communion table now, we ask you to do business with us. We invite you to convict us where we arch our backs. And we thank you for the blood of Christ that will today cleanse us from unrighteousness. In his name we pray, amen.